Thank you for listening to the Pursuit Church podcast. This is more than a podcast. Pursuit Church is a movement to connect to Jesus and make a difference. If you need prayer or would like to financially support our mission, reach out to us online at PursuitChurchSA.com. Now grab your headphones and get ready to dive into this week's message. So, you know, after you've been in a relationship a while, you know, it could be a friendship, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, marriage. In our case, we've been married a while. And you kind of start developing these little, your own little language, if you will, like these little habits, these little things that that you do, and inside joke, kind of things like that. Well, Pastor and Bob and I have um, this one little quirky thing that we do. It's kind of our, I don't know if you'd call it a love language, it's just kind of our language, our own little our own little language, and um, it's a weird way of communicating, communicating together, and I really don't know when it started, but we have this thing that we do where we'll be talking, and we start weaving movie lines into our sentences, and we both get it. Like, we get it. It's, it's weird, I know, but let me tell you something. We work together. Our careers, we work together. We pastor together. We live together. We're always together, so we need a little comedy here and there, kind of lighten things up, right? So that's what we do. Well, one of the movies that we have tend to quoted the most over the years is this funny movie, and it's a Will Ferrell movie, and it's called Talladega Nights, The Palette of Ricky Bobby. Some of y'all already know what I'm talking about. I love that movie. It's, it is not the most anointed movie. I'm going to tell you that right now. But it's funny. It's really funny. And so the story is Will Ferrell plays this NASCAR driver. And um, as Romy calls him, net car. But anyway, he plays a NASCAR driver. Some of y'all don't even know who Jim Rome is, huh? That's what happens when you have a husband who's a sports fanatic. Anyway, so Ricky Bobby is a NASCAR driver. He gets into this wreck on the track, and he's freaking out. It's like this crash, and so he's terrified to ever drive again. Like, he's this famous NASCAR driver, and he refuses to get back in the car and drive again. So his dad thinks, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out, right? So his dad gets a live cougar and puts it in his own car, and he takes Ricky out and says, all right, you're going to drive it. And Ricky's like, what? So he he goes to the car, he opens up the door, and this cougar, she jumps out. She's like, rawr, he jumps at him, and he screams, and he slams the door, and he tells his dad, dad, there's a cougar in the car. And his dad very calmly says, I know that, son. I put it in there. You got to learn to drive with your fear. Even, he goes, and there ain't nothing more terrifying than driving with a live cougar in the car with you. So when it comes to fear, y'all, even if there's a cougar in the car, you got to get in and drive afraid. You got to do it afraid. Because let me tell you something. We will never overcome a fear we refuse to confront. I'm going to say that again. We will never overcome a fear that we refuse to confront. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? When you're so afraid and you don't know what to do? What do you do? Think about that for a minute. When you're afraid and you don't know what to do, what do you do? You know, some people don't do anything. They don't do anything. Now, I'm not talking about how most of us just kind of pause when we're afraid to kind of get our wits about us. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you're so afraid and you don't know what to do that you become paralyzed by the fear and you don't do anything, like ever, like ever. You're scared to move forward 
because you don't know what to do. So you just stop, wait it out, and figure, oh, it'll just resolve itself. That's how some people deal with fear. And there are some people, when they don't know what to do, they start going back into their own history, their education, what they've been through, what they think they know, and they start looking for options, looking for options, playing out these scenarios, trying to figure out what's the best case scenario, how do I handle this? And they're coming up with a game plan. I think that's pretty typical. It's kind of logical, right? Seems logical. And then the third type of people are those that when they're so afraid and they don't know what to do, they hit their knees. They stop everything and they hit their knees. They wouldn't even think about trying to do anything without talking to God first. And I believe that most people fall into one of those three categories. Maybe depending on the fear, depending on what you're facing, you might be one one way, one another way. But I think that most of us fall into one of those three categories when it comes to fear. And here's the deal. Fear is legitimate. Fear is legitimate. It's a real thing. It's a chemical reaction, and it's a powerful chemical reaction in your brain. And so we're going to have to learn how to deal with it appropriately, the way God would want us to deal with it. Because you're going to come across fear. Whether you have already, you will. In this life, you're going to face it. So I came today to give you some encouragement, to give you some encouragement and to tell you that fear doesn't have to stop you in your tracks. Fear can actually be a catalyst to launch you forward into the next season. And one thing I want you to know about fear is that it's a decision point. When you're afraid, it's a decision point. It's an apex moment. And it requires a decision. Even if you do nothing, you still made a decision. Absence of a decision is a decision. So what do we do when we don't know what to do? First thing we do is we remain faithful instead of being fearful. Sometimes you just need to do it afraid, y'all. In the Old Testament, there's a story of a young woman named Ruth. And the book of Ruth was written during the time of the judges. And the judges were um, when Israel was caught up in all kinds of stuff, y'all. They were in the middle of social, political, religious discord. And they were a mess. The Israelites were a mess. They wanted a king. They kept asking the old prophets, give us a king, give us a king. And God didn't want to do that. God wanted to be their king. But they kept on, and they were being really wild about it. So God said, all right, I'm going to set up a system of judges. And so he set up a system of 12 judges. And he said, one judge from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's what he set up. And the part of the judge's role was to encourage the people to come back to God, to to get it together, y'all. Come back to God. You see, the Hebrew people they were assimilating to the culture around them. They were starting to do all kinds of wild things, y'all. The problem was the judges didn't have any real authority to enforce anything. They weren't true kings. They weren't like a king. A king can enforce, can make you do right, can make you follow the laws of the lands. So absent a king, the Israelites just did whatever they wanted to do. That's what the Bible says. They just did whatever they felt like doing. And as a result... They ended up going down a really bad path, y'all. They were sexually immoral. They were spiritually bankrupt. They were chasing after all these false gods. They had the king of the universe who loved them, who had a plan for them, and they just 
Just started chasing out, looking for something, looking for love in all the wrong places. That's what they were doing. And on top of that, there was a famine in the land. You know, groceries were sparse and the prices were high. Does any of this sound a little familiar? Things got so bad that some of the Israelites decided to leave their homeland, the land God gave them. They're fighting about this right now over yonder on the other side of the world. That land God gave the Israelites, that belonged to the Israelites. It belonged to them back then. And some of them were so messed up, so afraid of what was going on, they just left it all behind and took off to go live in foreign countries where they were foreigners. That's what they did. You know, sin will mess you up. It will mess you up. The devil will tempt you, and he'll try to get you to think, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be great. Just do whatever you want to do. Do whatever makes you feel good in the moment. Do whatever makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy. And then you'll start believing that, right? You start believing it, and you'll start going down this path that leads to nowhere but destruction, y'all. You start losing things that God gave you as a blessing. And if you keep that up, it won't be too long before you actually just start giving it away. Giving away things that God meant you to have. That's what the Israelites did. They left behind the land God gave them. And they were chasing after their own happiness, their own truth. And if you fall for those lies of the devil telling you that you don't have to obey God, just do whatever you feel like doing, you're going to end up giving away some very valuable things. Giving away your innocence. Giving away your talents, your skills, your money, your time, maybe even your sanity. And if you're not careful, you'll wake up one day in a place far, far away from where you're supposed to be. But here's what I want you to know. Even if that happens, God can redeem it. God can redeem it, y'all. God will redeem it. This is what he did in Ruth. Let's read it together. Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1. I just told you where Ruth was, Old Testament. So if y'all brought your Bibles, which I hope you did, nothing like a paper Bible. Ruth is the eighth book of the Old Testament. And this is what it says. In the days when the judges were ruling, there was a famine in the land. A man from Bethlehem in Judah went with his wife and two sons to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of their two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were descendants of Ephrathah, Ephrathah from Bethlehem in the territory of Judah. They went to the country of Moab and lived there. Okay, now I want you to pay attention to this. I got something to say. It's not in there, but I'm going to give it to you. The Israelites and the Moabites were enemies. The Moabites were the enemies of the Israelites. Elimelech, his people, were enemies of the Moabites, and he was leaving his homeland and going to the enemy territory? Who does that? That's crazy, man. But don't we do that? We get out from underneath God's protection because we want to have things our way. We want to do what we want to do. And we end up in enemy territory, y'all. This is that number two reaction I just told y'all about and how people respond to fear. Elimelech started trying to come up with a game plan on his own, and look what kind of mess he got up into. Let's keep reading. Verse 3, now Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, 
and she was left alone with her two sons. Each son had married a woman from Moab. One son married a woman named Ruth, and they lived, and another son married a woman named Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. They lived there for about 10 years. Then both Malan and Chilion died as well. So Naomi was left alone without her two sons or her husband. So you've got three widows, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. They had no grandchildren. So Naomi thought, mm, there's no point in me staying here. I'm just going to leave. There's no reason to stay in Moab. And then she heard that things back in Bethlehem had started to look up, that God had begun to provide for his people again. So she said, man, I'm out of here. I'm going back to my own people. And at first, Ruth and Orpah, they left with her. But not too far as they were out on the road, leaving Moab, Naomi stopped. And she tells the girls, look, y'all, you don't need to come with me. I've got nothing for you. You're still young. Why don't y'all just go back home to your mom's, live in your mother's house, and find you a new husband? Start over back home. You don't need to come here and take care of me. Don't waste your life taking care of me. That's what Naomi said. And Orpah did just that. She's like, mm, sounds like a good idea to me. Bye. She left. She went back. It's okay. But Ruth didn't. Ruth didn't go back. And I want you to look at verse 16 in chapter 1. Ruth said to Naomi, do not plead with me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you sleep, I will sleep. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. That's a big commitment. And Ruth, you know she had to have been afraid. First of all, two women traveling alone on the road together, that was scary back then. It's kind of scary now too. But on top of that, Ruth was headed to a foreign land where they were enemies of her people. And she was about to start a new life over there. She was going to be living among people that she didn't know anything about. That's scary. Think about it. Moving from Houston to San Antonio, I was like, oh, what are we doing? I literally had anxiety. The stuff was packed. And one of my daughters was like, I ain't going, man. I mean, she was digging her heels in. I was like, look, you're off at college. You do you. We got to go. And I had anxiety, y'all. It was scary. Leaving behind my hometown and coming to this town is nothing like Houston. It's scary. Can you imagine how she felt? She was going into enemy territory to live a bunch of, well, among a bunch of people she didn't know anything about. And, yeah, she was married to an Israelite. That's true. She was married to an Israelite, but they were still living in her homeland. She was still living among her people, her family. All she knew is that she was going somewhere where there were enemies and she was going to be living among people that were very, very different from her, different from what she was used to back in Moab. The Israelites had different customs. They had a different language and they had a different God. But what else was she going to do? What else was Ruth going to do? She wanted to do the right thing. Have you ever been in that situation where, man, I don't know what to do, God. I just want to do something that's right. I just want to do something right for once. I think that's where Ruth's heart was. And in that moment, she had a decision to make. In her fear, in her anxiety, she had a decision to make. And Ruth was not going to let fear paralyze her and keep her helpless. She was going to let that fear be the catalyst that would propel her into her destiny, into something new. And sure enough, when Naomi and Ruth finally got to Bethlehem, Ruth found herself doing all kinds of new things, different things. 
And I'm sure, I'm sure she had to be afraid, but she kept moving forward. Ruth adopted the Hebrew customs. She loved God, and she followed his laws, and she took care of Naomi. The Bible says we honor our mothers and fathers. Ruth honored Naomi as if that were her own mother. She could have stayed back in Moab. She didn't have to do that. She didn't have to do that. That's not her mom. She could have stayed back where things were familiar. But she honored Naomi. And guess what? Naomi led her to God, the one true God, Yahweh, Jehovah. And all that time, God saw it all. Y'all know he's Jehovah. He's El Roy. The God who sees you. El Roy is one of his names. The God who sees you. And he saw all of that all along. And God saw Ruth moving past her fear, being faithful despite her fear, and it pleased him. And get this, Ruth became a great grandmother of Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? Ruth became a great-grandmother of the Savior of the world. Her name is listed in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. That's a whole nother sermon. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Jesus came from the line of King David. God honored Ruth's faithfulness and courage by making sure that she had everything she needed and way more, way more. That's how God works, y'all. That's how he works. He's a good God. Don't let nobody make you think otherwise. God's a good God. He sees you. He's El Roy. And when you're afraid and you don't know what to do, remain faithful instead of fearful. And talk about the goodness of God. It's called praise. Talking about the goodness of God. The Bible says in Psalm 22:3 that God inhabits the praise of his people. And we're talking about the goodness of God. That's what praise is. You're boldly declaring his goodness. And sometimes, especially when you're afraid, it's going to be a little difficult to do that. But you got to do it anyway. And that's what makes it a sacrifice. And it's obedience to God. I want you to, I want you to hear that. I'm going to say it again. When you talk about the goodness of God, in spite of how you really fear, feel, if you're afraid, you have fear, and you still talk about the goodness of God, that's obedience. Because Hebrews 13, 15 says, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Every once in a while? No. Continually, despite how you feel or because of how you feel, like all the time, which means you do it when you're afraid. That is, they explain what it is, the fruit of our lips, fruit of our lips, talking Giving thanks to his name. Talking about the goodness of God is obedient to God when you're afraid. It's a sacrifice of praise. And you know, right now we're living in a crazy world. I was born in the 60s and I've seen some crazy stuff, y'all, but whoa. This is next level, okay? I mean, it's next level crazy out there. And if you struggle with anxiety, stay away from the news. That'll mess you up real quick. 
Don't even bother with it. All you need to know about is the good news of Jesus Christ. That's it. Right now, we're living in difficult times, and it's really crazy. It's a lot like the times during the judges back in the book of Ruth. There's war, famine, political, social discord, and a lot of people seem to lack any kind of moral compass. Do you hear me saying? Do you know what I'm talking about? A lot of people act like they don't have no morals, not any kind of morals. They're out there fighting, arguing, cussing. Man, I, I see, you know, I watch these dog reels, these dog videos on TikTok. They're so fun. They make me laugh. And then, even in them, some people be saying all kinds of bad words. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Kids can be looking at this. No shame, wiling out. They're all out of order, out of order, out of order. And among all that, and on top of that, you got a bunch of people online shouting out, Jesus is coming back. You better get right or you're going to get left. Oh, because that makes me want to turn to God. Hello. And actually, I think it's funny. It makes me laugh. It cracks me up because I'm sitting here thinking, how do you know? How do you know when he's going to come back? Jesus don't even know. He don't even know. Matthew 24, 36 says, he says very clearly, but about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of the heaven, nor the son, that's Jesus, nor the fa- only the father knows. That's what Jesus said. That's it. He don't even know. So how, how are people going to be telling me when he's coming back? I mean, I'll listen to your opinion, but it's okay to listen to opinions, y'all, but you got to be careful who you're listening to. The truth is we're living in a frightening time. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to push past that. But here's the deal. People are lost, and they're hurting, and they're looking for answers. They don't know what to do. And as followers of Christ, man, this is our moment. This is the moment we came for. This is our moment. We have an opportunity right now. The fields are ripe. We have an opportunity to tell people about the goodness of Jesus, not about all this turn or burn stuff. Don't nobody want to hear that? Tell them about the goodness of God, his love, his mercy, what he did for you. If you're the follower of Christ, you have a wonderful opportunity right now because people are searching for him. They just don't know it. You know it. They don't know it. So we got to push past our own fear, our own consternation, and we got to lead them to him. This is our moment. And don't worry about what to say. Don't worry about what to say. Just speak up. Let the spirit of God in you rise up and speak up and speak up boldly. Tell them about the goodness of God. That's praise. You don't need some fancy words. People don't want to hear all that anyway. You know, you, you, you come to church sometimes and you hear these preachers and they're just spouting all this theology and these big old words. I don't even know how to spell half the words they say. I am not a theologian. Now, Pastor Bob, he's the one that went to seminary or cemetery. I didn't go. Okay. I just know what God did for me. And that's all you have to share. What did God do for you? Tell people about what God did for you. Because you know what? Your salvation story, nobody can refute that. Nobody can say that didn't happen. You don't have to have fancy words, y'all. Just speak up. Speak up. Push past the fear and share your salvation story. Tell them what God has done for you. Because you know what? People are listening. They're listening. And we got to make sure they're hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people out there talking about some kind of something about God. It's not always accurate, and it's not always encouraging. 
you know, I was on social media the other day. I was looking at one of our pursuit church posts and I came across one of those, I call them internet evangelists, right? I mean, I'm not throwing shade at them. I'm just saying internet evangelists is what I call them and bless their hearts. I know they must mean well, but they are preaching some wild stuff, y'all. And they're taking scripture all out of context to kind of make it fit their own agenda or their own opinion, because that's what it is. Anything short of the word, unless God gave you revelation, that's an opinion. And right now, a lot of these people are posting some crazy apocalyptic stuff. They got these AI-generated battles from the book of Revelation. Man, I'm like, that's wild, y'all. How do you know? How do you know? I don't know anybody. Nobody, nobody, nobody can 100% accurately interpret the book of Revelation. Have you ever read the book of Revelation? Nobody can do that. Nobody knows when God's going to come. And, you know, they show these things and they tell people, this is it. You better get ready. You better get ready. You better get your heart right because Jesus is coming soon. That's not the way to evangelize, y'all. And the other thing I've noticed is they do a lot of inward focus. You get ready. You need to make sure your heart is in the right place. You get ready. That's not the way to evangelize either. No, no. We need to be prepared. Yes, absolutely, because Jesus is coming again. But here's the deal. When Jesus said to be prepared, he wasn't just talking about us and our own preparation. No, no, no. no. What he was saying is we actually need to help others know him. And he was saying it like we need to have a sense of urgency. Like take this serious. That's what he was saying. And tell people with a sense of urgency. That's the part that they leave out. If you watch too much of this or you see too much, you read too much of it, they leave that part out. The whole reason Jesus came in the first place was what? Seek and save the lost. We got to remember that. Because when we remember that, then we understand our mission as followers of Christ. And it's not to just sit around and wait for him to come again. Rome's burning. We're sitting here playing the fiddle. No. That's not our mission. We got to share the good news of Jesus, who he is, why he came. Think about this. If God didn't have something for you to do, when he saved you, he would have just boop, zapped you up right away, taking you straight to heaven. We're done here. No, but he didn't do that. You're sitting here. People are sitting here. They're followers of Christ. I'm still here. He didn't do that because we have a job to do. When you give your life to Jesus, you become part of his purpose. And he said in Luke 249, that he came to be about his father's business. Luke 249, Jesus said, I came to be about my father's business. So if we're followers of Christ, then we need to be part of that, part of his mission. And that's to lead others to him. And sometimes you're just going to have to do it afraid. When I was in the office kind of praying and preparing my heart, 1 Peter 4.14 came up. And it says, if you're insulted because of Jesus Christ, be glad about that. Rejoice. Be happy. Because that means the Spirit of God is living in you. And you have his glory. What would have the glory of God? So speak up. Speak up afraid. I know sometimes it can be hard. I know some of you guys work in a place where if you talk about God, you can get fired. Guess what? 
God owns the cattle in a thousand hills. He can get you a new job. Don't shrink back in fear. Don't shrink back in fear. People's lives are depending on us being bold and talking about Jesus Christ. And don't get weird. Don't make it weird. Just tell them. Tell them about what he did for you. Simple as that. You don't got to make it weird. You don't got to be on the corner downtown by the river walk with a megaphone shouting at people. Nobody wants that, man. It's weird. We don't have to be like that. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I know, you know, right now, maybe you're dealing with some heavy stuff and you got a little anxiety going on. You're afraid and, and you're thinking, man, I don't even know what to do about my own situation. I don't know what to do. Well, here's what you do. Keep talking about the goodness of God, y'all. Tell us, tell others about him that honors him. And that is how you get rid of the fear. It's real hard to stay afraid when you're praising God. Think about that. You want to know why? Because it shifts your focus. Remember, we magnify what we focus on. And when you're afraid or anxious and you don't know what to do, don't let fear stop you in your tracks. No. Let fear be the catalyst that propels you forward into a new season. And the way you do that is you remain faithful Instead of fearful, just keep putting one foot in front of the other and do what God's already told you to do. And while you're doing that, talk about the goodness of God. Just praise him. Tell people all the good things he's done for you, how he changed your life. And that's what he wants to do for them too. Tell them that. Encourage them. And when you do that, fear will not be able to stick around. And before you know it, You'll find yourself walking in the next good thing God has for you. Amen? Amen. You bow your heads, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you. We magnify your holy name, your name above all names, Lord. You have been so good to us, God, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. No matter where we go or what we face, you never leave us. You are El Roy, the God who sees us, and we thank you for that, Lord. And God, I thank you for your word. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts through the garbage that Satan tries to give us. Lord, I just thank you for your word. And I pray today that it gets down into all of our hearts. It sinks in and it changes us all from the inside out. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray.